Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here with my good buddy, longtime buddy, comrade, fault finding. You <laughs> <laughs> loaned me a jacket because it's so cold in here. And I, I told him it's kind of small. He said, no, that's not the problem. <laughs> So I'm feeling a little, <laughs> a little large. <laughs> your, your your ministry is spread a little bit. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, Steve. <laughs> Let's see. We're on part three of a four-part series on the four, maybe five parts. Could be five. Yeah. The upper room discourse. discourse. Yep. Which, which is the Easter message. That's what Jesus was telling them. The Easter message in plain talk, not in figures of speech, but he was speaking to them so plainly that they they literally said, we can tell that you're God because you're speaking to us so plainly. No more figures of speech. Yes. Plain talk. Amen. Man, I just love that term, upper room discourse. It makes me feel (laughs) scholarly. So scholarly, huh? Let's see. We did chapter 15 last week. Do you want me to do a little review? Yeah. Okay. You think you could, off the top of your head, do 13, 14, 15? Let's see. Basically, at 14, Jesus was telling the disciples that I am going to prepare you 12 disciples as vessels for me to use as homes for me to live in I'm going to the third heaven and I will arrange things so that you are good clean vessels for me to live and do my ministry through. And he said, in that day when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will know that I am in you. You really get blinded when you think he's going to prepare mansions for you and he's going to build you something up in the third heaven that you're going to get to go to someday. That wasn't the case at all. He was talking about, I'm going to build a prepare a kingdom on earth 
for me to do my kingdom business and my kingdom economy through. I'm going to prepare a whole new covenant economy here on earth. Not up in heaven, but here on earth. How does that make ready, right? That, yes. Which is really means we we learned was to give you the capacity for the ministry of the spirit to to be able to house the spirit and then and then in verse 15 he says so i'm the vine he, he changes the analogy or the word picture <clears throat> from you are the abodes he says now i'm the vine and you're the branches abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit he's saying I've prepared you as vessels so now be vessels and not try and be Christians doing things for God in your own human strength but be the vessel that I prepared you to be and let me do my thing through you and you'll bear much fruit. Because if you're not using me as the source of accomplishment, of the source of doing the Christian life, are you so foolish after beginning the Christian life with the spirit? Are you now trying to attain the goal of the Christian life through human effort? Galatians 3.3, 3. He's, he's saying, don't do that after I told you I'm going to prepare you to be a vessel that I live through be a vessel that I live through and wait on the Lord those who wait on the Lord will exchange their strength and become like they're living on eagles wings they'll run and never get weary if you exchange strength, if you abide in the vine, all these word pictures are saying the same thing. They're telling us to live by God's power under this new covenant, which is what he said in Ezekiel, I'll make a new covenant whereby I will put my spirit in them and cause them to live the exemplary Christian life by my spirit. Well, that's what he did. He went up to the third heaven. He came back down in spiritual form and people started beginning to be born again. And he started living through people. And he was saying, so use my power, abide in me and let me do my thing through you. That was the gist of chapter 15. Now we're getting into 16 and we'll just take it from there because 16 goes right along with 14 and 15. I've prepared you to be a vessel. I want you to use my strength, not yours. And then 16 goes further with that Easter message that we're talking about. Okay, now we're into chapter 16, right? Yes, sir. So he gives him this, this warning. He says, I'm going away. And it's going to get bad for you. It, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to flog you, do all kinds of things to you. And we're, of course, we're talking about the people that go to bars and the the people that don't want a new church. And no, it's the 
it's the do-gooders. It's the people that are filled with this self-righteousness. The people that keep the law, the Pharisee, the scribes and the Pharisees. The religious folks, as, as we like to say. Right. It's not the thieves and the murderers that are going to persecute them. It, it's the, the, the religious zealots that are going to persecute the, the disciples once the spirit comes. Exactly. The, the prostitutes and the sinners, they're his followers. But he's telling his apostles, the people that don't the people that are deceived into thinking that they're keeping the law and they're pleasing God, they're the ones that are going to persecute you. They can't stand your message because their message gets to the heart of their problem. The law demanded their righteousness, and they don't have it. And they're, But they sure think they do. Right, it's the people that won't, remember in John chapter 3, that won't come to the light yes. because their deeds will expose. Exactly, exactly. And so he, he gives us the, let's see, should I start in verse 7? I eight? would say so, 7. Okay, let's see how it sounds. Chapter 16, verse 7. He's told them about our times are coming. Yep, and that he has to go away to send down the helper. You're going to have a popular message with the people that want help. Yes. But it's not going to be received by the the legalists. The people that are opposed to Guardians of Grace podcasts are not going to receive this message. We would get persecuted. So... Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you to your... Easy for me to say. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he come, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged so the Holy Spirit is going to convict or convince the world of three things, right? Sin and righteousness and of judgment. Who, who's he going to convict? The, the, the church. The believer. Of sin. Not. Convict. Not. Who, who does it say he's going to convict? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, you can go by what Jesus said. Or you can go by church tradition that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the believer of his sin. Right. That would be church tradition because that's that's how I grew up. I always grew up thinking the Holy Spirit was going to convict me of sin. Good guilt. Yeah. who, Who does this passage say gets convicted of sin? 
Well, it says the world. The world. The, the, and why? Don't don't really want to overlook that. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because right over just on the next page in John 17, he says, but you guys are not of the world just as I am not of the world. The believers are not of the world. They're not the ones that get convicted of sin. He convicts the world of sin, but because they believe not in Jesus. Yes, believers are not convicted of sin. So, you're either trusting in the Spirit's righteousness or you're trusting in your own righteousness. Yes. So let's go back to chapter 8. It's the famous when the woman was caught in adultery. Yes. And Jesus said, which one of you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. Yes. Now the people that brought the woman caught into adultery were the Pharisees. Yes. The people that were really into the law, right? Yes. And they had this false idea that they were keeping the law. Yes. So Jesus says to them, yeah, the law says she should be stoned. So whichever one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Yes. So he says the law, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or he says Moses, which is... The law. The law, yeah. It's a synonymous term. Mm-hmm. The one of you that's never broken the law of Moses, let him cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And it says they set their stones down, walked away one by one, their conscience convicting them of sin. So the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin. <laughs> it says their conscience convicted them of sin. You, you, you mean it doesn't say the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin? It does not say the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin. In fact, it says the Holy Spirit had not, not yet been, been given. Exactly. The Holy Spirit wasn't even there. Do you, do you Why guys is get chapter that 16 right? here saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit? Yes, and, well, obviously and, he hadn't been sent yet. And in chapter 8, it should be pointed out, point blank, that this passage said their conscience convicted them of sin because the Holy Spirit had not been sent yet. It says it right in the passage. It tells you it's not the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. It may, goes to great length to make you know that the Holy Spirit did not convict them of sin. Just like it says the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, but the believers are not of the world. We've got to make this point um, good and clear because the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. It's actually a form of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to say the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, even though it's so As a widely spoken of, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of sin. In 
2 Corinthians, it, it says the Holy Spirit's ministry is to convict you of righteousness and the law's ministry is the ministry of condemnation, but we, not the Spirit. The Spirit convicts you that you are righteous when the law, when Satan, when the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when the pulpit, when other people, your conscience convicts you of sin, the Spirit convicts you that you are righteous. That's why it says in Hebrews 10, the Holy Spirit specifically says, your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. It says the Holy Spirit says this to you. Except when he reminds you of your sins and lawless deeds. Yeah, yeah, oh, of course, of course, because naturally we just throw all these verses away and say the Holy Spirit convicts us as a sin, and we just keep going with that idea, even though the, the scriptures won't back it up. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. So the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, and yet the Holy Spirit remembers your sin. No more. So what sin am I guilty of? I, I don't remember. Yeah. It's, it just well, doesn't just, work. Just be guilty. It just doesn't work. But we, it just gets said. Just point, just everybody just walks up, grabs a microphone and says, and the Holy Spirit convicted me today. They just grab these microphones in their hand and say that when it's not true. Their conscience could have, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil could have. There's, Satan, there's many agencies that can convict you of sin, but the Spirit convicts you that you're righteous. Let's get that one thought today right. Just just one thought. It convinces Listen. you that you're righteous. Let, you're, let, let's look at one okay. more. I'll let you do this one, Steve, because you're... Uh, are you you're, saying get off my soapbox? <laughs> I could sit on this soapbox for a while, Bill. Well, he does say you're already clean, so... Yes. The soapbox... Let's see. Let's go to James. I don't need to find it. You know this verse. Yeah. What did James say convicts you of sin? The law. It says if you keep the whole law, yet break one of the least of the commands, you're guilty of breaking all the commands. The law convicts you of sin. The believer the law convicts the believer. Now, it, it said in John it does. 16, the unbelievers, it, it convicts of sin because they didn't believe. So if you are a believer in Christ and you're convicted, you're feeling convicted of sin, where is it coming from? The law. The law. The, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your conscience, bad preaching, and hasatan. Is it possible for someone that's not of the world, that's received the Spirit, to feel convicted by the law? Yes. yes. That's why there's a Guardians of Grace podcast. Yes. The law does it every time. Yes. It convicts you of sin. Amen, brother. <laughs> so what does James say? Why not live by another law? The, Paul calls it the law of the Spirit. What does James call it? The perfect law that gives freedom. 
it's a law of dynamics. It helps you, like he said, I'm sending the helper. It helps you. It, it becomes this, the Holy Spirit becomes this law of dynamics that helps you not sin. It's just like the law of gravity. If you're in the Spirit, you won't sin not one single time. That's why 1 John 3, 9 can say, the child born of God does not commit a single, single, single sin because he's been born of the sperma of God. It's not even possible. It's not possible for the spirit that God, that Jesus said was coming down, that he was going to sin. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I will send this Holy Spirit that cannot sin. I will send him and he will live inside of you and do for you what you can't do for yourself. And we throw all that out the window. All that he'll do, he'll make you holy and righteous. The new covenant spoken about it in Ezekiel. I will put my spirit within them and cause them to work in my walk in my statutes. I will cause them to be Ten Commandment obeyers. I will cause them to live an exemplary Christian life. I will put my spirit in them. I'm making a new covenant with them. He's predicting this 500 years before it happens. And then now Jesus is saying, right now I'm fixing to go away. And that's to your advantage because then this spirit that Ezekiel promised will be here. And it'll live in you and cause you to live the exemplary Christian life. You just have to depend on the spirit and not your human determination. That's the essence of the new covenant. So just to back up what you said, James says, for whoever shall keep the whole law, our attempt in James 2.10 and yet stumble at one point is guilty of it all. That's called a convicted conscience. By and the law. By trying to live by the law. Yes. And it's, then he says, go, like he just said, live by the perfect law that gives liberty. That's the law of the spirit of the life in Christ that sets you free from the law of sin and death. Death is guilt. Death is that feeling of being convicted. That, yeah. The, doesn't it say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3? What is the law called? The ministry of death and death. the letter that kills. And the ministry of condemnation. And then what does it say the Spirit's ministry is, Bill? The ministry of righteousness. What? The ministry of Righteousness. The Spirit's ministry is the ministry of what in 2 Corinthians 3? Of righteousness. You, you said like righteousness. I said it and I meant it. Yeah. It's the Spirit of righteousness. Jesus said the same thing. It says he will convict the world of sin. Three things. Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Judgment. Yeah, okay. So he's going to the Father. 
of righteousness because I go to the Father and what he's just saying, I'm going to send the Spirit, which is the ministry of righteousness. So whenever you do happen to sin, it's probably because you've gone back to human effort, for one, because mm -hmm. you can't sin if you're being led by the Spirit. No. And those who are led by the Spirit are not under law. Yeah. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. If you're under the law, it says the law is there to... I would not have known sin if it weren't Wasn't for the law. law. But when the commandment came, sin, sin sprang to life. What did, what did sin use as an opportunity to do something that could make you feel guilty? The Holy Spirit convicting you. <laughs> No, it's not the Holy Spirit convicting you. It's the law. It took an opportunity to make you stumble through the law. When you put yourself under the law, that's when sin received its power to pummel you. Don't you know what it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six? The power Our of sin, sin is, is the Ill. law. The law gives sin its power. Sin, seizing an opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me, coveting oh. sin of all kinds. Yes. So the law was there to make you feel guilty. Yes. The Spirit is there to remind you that you're not guilty because the life you live, you live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. The life of sin that you did live and are still living but God counts as past tense all that violation of unrighteousness was put on Jesus he was crucified and he shed that's why he said I'm going away and he shed his blood he gave his life for us so he could give his life to us so we could live his life through us as uh, forgot who used to say that all that sense of violated righteousness on God's behalf was placed on Christ and he was judged for it which is the next ministry of the spirit doesn't it said he will convict the world of judgment because why because the ruler of this world has been judged already already judged that that's how he's convicting the world of judgment he's saying hey the, the ruler has already been judged it's a done deal and he he's, he's, he's the one convicting you the is judged i'm trying to think of the name of it the accuser of the brethren there bill <laughs> yes that's what i was looking for yes the accuser of the brethren if the accuser of the brethren doesn't have a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if the, the accuser of the brethren doesn't have a defiled conscience, if the accuser of the brethren doesn't have the law to put us under anymore, what can he convict us of? What can he accuse us of? Nothing. Nothing. All those accusations that you receive, you don't have to listen to them. No. That's the ministry of the Spirit. Spirit's there to remind you that you don't have to listen to that garbage. Not only are you not guilty, that would be good, but you're actually righteous. 
You're actually credited with living the perfect life. That is what he told you in John chapter 14. I'm going to prepare you to be righteous. I'm going to cleanse you as a vessel, a vessel of righteousness that I can live in and I can use. I told you all about it in John 14. Now I'm telling you that you are righteous, so I'm putting my spirit in you and he will guide you into all truth. There's much more that the Holy Spirit does once he comes down to live in us. And the three things that he convinces us of... Convinces the, the world of. Convinces the world of, because the world doesn't know any of this. Uh, no one up to that point in history knew any of this. We didn't know Jesus' ministry. We didn't know the purpose of his life. We didn't know the purpose of his death. And as we're about to see, he kept it all secret, even to his disciples. I think it's the same chapter coming up where he says, now you're you're speaking plainly to us. The disciples say that in chapter 17. We can tell you're God. You're speaking so plainly to us. Well, he's speaking plainly to them right now. He's saying, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. That is to your advantage because the Holy Spirit will guide you, the believer, into all truth and remind you all that I've said. And we're speaking plainly to you right now on this Guardians of Grace podcast that the Holy Spirit does not play any role of making you feel guilty of sin. Not the believer. But he plays a 100% role that when you do feel guilty, he convinces you that you're actually righteous in his eyes. And it's a bad rap that you're putting on the Holy Spirit if you say it any other way. He convicts you that you're righteous. That's, that's It's not his ministry. It's not his ministry. It wasn't what he came back down to earth to do. Now, if you want to live your life by human effort in the flesh, yeah, the Spirit will say, you're not measuring up. The, the Spirit will say, use me, use me, use me. Right, not to condemn you, mm -mm. but to get you to turn from yourself and yes. turn back to the Holy Spirit. That's why it says you need not that a man teaches you because you've got the anointing and the no anointing is real and not counterfeit. And the anointing teaches you one thing. It teaches you to abide in Christ. Abide in His power and not your determination. The Spirit teaches you that over and over and over and over again. That's His ministry is to say Jesus is the source of accomplishment and to brag on Jesus and to witness about what Jesus does and what Jesus will do in you. So the Spirit's ministry, the anointing that we've received, teaches us to abide in Him. Doesn't that sound like John 15? Abide in me, and I abide in you, because you're the branch, I'm the vine. With me, you can bear much fruit. That's the same thing the Holy Spirit is saying. And apart from me... You can do nothing. Wasn't that what the law taught? 
remember we, we did that comparison in Isaiah 5 under the law. Israel was told to bear fruit. Yes. And God set up the vine, got it all ready, went back for fruit, and what did God get? Nada. Worthless. Yes. Worthless fruit, sour grapes. Yes. That's what human effort, that's what the ministry of law, which the ministry of law is, this is what God expects, this is what, this is God's righteous standard, live up to it. God demands that you bear fruit, you can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the Spirit's ministry is the same as John 15. It teaches you to abide in Him, because apart from Him, you can do nothing. So whenever you feel like you can't do anything, you're not abiding in the vine. You're abiding in your own human effort. Let me put it to you this way. The disciples were sad when Jesus told them he was going away. Twice he told them he was going away. He he said it in 14, then he had to go revisit it in 16 and said, I, I got to go away, but it's to your advantage. They didn't understand the to your advantage part, right? But he said, you're sad because I'm going away. When there's someone you want to be around, you just love being around them in their presence, and they tell you they're going away, you're sad. That's how it was with Jesus. They loved being around him. They didn't feel like he was judging them. They, they just, it was the best of times for them. And they were sad because he's going away. Now, have you ever had a friend that points out your faults and convicts you? Of, Not for long. <laughs> when they say, I'm going away, are you sad? <laughs> or do you, do you jump up and get the door? Yes. Just don't let the door hit you on the oh, way out. Oh, okay. Leaving so soon. Yeah. Here we go. Let me show you out. Yeah. That's what it was with Jesus. They were sad because they loved being with Jesus. The same feeling that they had loved being around Jesus should be the exact same feeling that we have being led by the Spirit. Not feeling like we're at the Spirit's pointing out our faults. That's a really good point, Bill. You don't call someone that points out your faults the comforter. No. You call them an antagonist. Yes, yes. An alarmist. Condemner. <laughs> Condemner. It's not like you want to be around those people. No. But Jesus said, it's good that I go away because you'll have the comforter. And this is the cool part. As good as it was to have Jesus in the flesh around them think how good it is to have the Holy Spirit living in you 24-7 Jesus said it's the same as no he said it's, it's better better, better. Mm -hmm. so we have Jesus telling them that I gotta go away and when I go away I will send the helper and the helper is better it's better to have the helper in you and when the helper who is the spirit of truth comes he will in verse 13 say he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own initiative but whatever he hears he will speak 
and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will tell you about what all is Jesus and that your Jesus' possession and that Jesus is in you and this is what he will do. And, and he goes on to say that, you know, you, the world will rejoice that I'm gone, but you, you'll be sad about it. But the, that spirit is coming. So I'm talking to you as plainly as possible. It's going to hurt for a little while, but then that spirit is coming. And if you lack any wisdom, you can ask of the spirit and it will grant it to you. Ask anything in Jesus' name that you want, and it will be granted to you. And it's the same thing it says in 1 John. You need not that a man teach you anything because you have the anointing, and the anointing is real and not counterfeit. And it teaches you to abide in the vine. Just like Jesus said, the anointing teaches you to abide in the vine. This is what chapters 14, 15, and 16 are all telling us in this upper room discourse that it's a new covenant and we rely on the Spirit to do what we could never do throughout all the history of Israel. It couldn't be done in human strength and determination and capacity. But by the Spirit's power, it can be done as these chapters are pointing out, as the Easter message is unfolding. It's a message about how I'm changing the covenant and I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And in Jesus' name, I hope that everybody understands what Bill and I are trying to say. And I'll let you close us in prayer, Bill. Yeah, I was just going to say the covenant changed, but and also the relationship changed. Remember, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but my friends, because I, a friend doesn't know a servant doesn't know what his boss is doing, but John chapter 15 and 16, I'm telling you all I'm doing. And one of the amazing thing is 1627, it says for the, he says, in that day you will ask whatever you want in my name and I will do it for you. And I shall pray for the father. Then it says, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed in me that I came from God. And the word love there is not that agape, it's the phileo. That's the relationship we, we live in. A, a lot of times we say as Christians, God loves me, but when I do something wrong, he breaks fellowship with me. You've heard that a lot, the broken fellowship. Well, this verse is saying not only does he love you, but he likes you. You don't break fellowship. It, this is a permanent relationship, and the Holy Spirit is given to you to remind you to abide in him. That's what a friend does. That's what the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts addresses, or who he addresses. I'm writing these things, O Theophilus, and means a friend of God, and that's what you are. So, Father God, ministry of the Spirit that you've given us, thank you that you loved us, 
He went to the cross and died for us, as us. Shed your blood on the cross, poured out your life. It was accepted by your Father, who was our Father. And now we are accepted and dearly loved, and even your friends. What a privilege to be the friend of God. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, everyone. We love you. Steve had to leave. Otherwise, he would say good night, everyone, also. But he had a doctor's appointment that he had to make, and he's left the building, so I switched chairs and finished his podcast. Hope I didn't mess it up too much. Thank you. We do love you guys. Look forward to seeing you each and every week, talking to you, sharing the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.